0: Seven, and really we 're just going to focus on one verse, which is verse number six, and the entire the entire message will come from one verse i don 't think i 've ever preached out of one verse, in fact, I was a little nervous to even attempt to do so and see if I could uh, get enough material if you would out of the one out of the one verse, uh, but we wanted to read the first five verses before that because it does play a part in the understanding of verse number 6. If you were here last week, remember uh, our our look at the first five verses and the warnings about judgment. You see in your notes there, in the bulletin, there's a picture of a man. His name is Samuel Zwemer. Samuel Zwemer was born in 1867 to an immigrant cru- uh, couple in Vriesland, Michigan. He became a Christian as a boy, and after graduating from Hope College, he enrolled in New Brunswick Seminary to prepare for the ministry. He felt a strong burden to share the gospel to a needy people on a a needy mission field and had a dream to start a new work of his own. He met a friend at seminary, and together they decided that they would go to uh, as missionaries to Arabia, because it seemed, as the heart of Islam, to be the most difficult mission field. No mission board, however, would take them on. They couldn't get anyone to sponsor them, because it did seem like an impossible venture. In fact, Samuel was told that it was foolish to want to go to such a fanatical people. So because they couldn't find any support or backing, they decided to start their own mission board, which they named the Arabian Mission. Zwemer is remembered for saying, if God calls you and no board will send you, bore a hole through the board and go anyway. Zwemer and his partner James Cantine just traveled across America raising support. And by June of 1890, at the age of 23, Zweimer left America to be a missionary to the Muslim people throughout Arabia. After six years on the field, he met a missionary nurse named Amy Wilkes, whom he served with and eventually married Together, the Zuimer family ministered to the Muslim people in countries such as Lebanon, Egypt, Iraq, Bahrain. His strong desire to bring Christ to the Muslim world would lead him to countries across North and South Africa and as far away as Indonesia and China. For all his efforts, he is remembered affectionately as the Apostle to Islam. As you might expect, though, as a missionary to Muslim people, this ministry was not uh, without its difficulties and hardships. A few of them were the loss of his brother Peter, who had come to serve alongside him and died on the mission field. Then his two daughters, I think ages 7 and 4, both died of dysentery within a week of each other. But for over 70 years, Samuel Zwemer gave his life to serve a people who were steeped in religion but very far from God. And he influenced many more people to bring the gospel even to the toughest places on earth. And in one of his final addresses, uh, he wrote these words, The world of Islam is a challenge to faith and hope and love. Doors once closed are nailed open. Now is the time for advance. The cloud of witnesses and the old guard are calling you. Come over and help us. Now in our passage today, we find that Jesus has shifted uh, from our relationship with fellow believers to a very entirely different group of people. In fact, uh, it would seem that this new group is very far from the Christian family and the Christian community, and to call these people difficult would be uh, quite the understatement. Jesus uses two very striking terms here to describe them to us. Now, as we would read them and understand them today, these are not affectionate terms, nor are they complimentary, nor are they well appreciated if someone called you a dog. Now, if in the Bible it had been spelled D-A-W-G, it might be received as a little bit more uh, of a compliment, but uh, that's not how they spoke in Bible times. What is up, thou dog? You know, they didn't they didn't do that. But uh, you didn't get my joke, so I'm going to move on. Uh, this is... uh these labels of dog and pig are not complimentary. They're not appreciated. They are insulting to say the very least. But in order for us to understand this very simple instruction, this very clear instruction that Jesus uh, gives us, we need to get a clear picture of what He meant by these terms and the people that He intended uh, to describe with them. So by way of these six statements that you see in your bulletin, I want to try to explain His teaching. So we'll just move progressively through them and hopefully they will help you to see uh, what he means number one we must not give holy things to dogs or throw our pearls to pigs now this command seems pretty clear right don't don't give dogs the holy things and don't throw pearls to the swine this is essentially the other end of jesus's command in uh, in the first five verses which deal with being too quick to judge if you remember from last week or if you're familiar with the first five verses uh, the idea here is before you judge, remember, you will be judged uh, to the same degree and to the same measure that you judge other people. Before you judge, examine your own life and address your own issues. And then and only then, when your own eye is clear of beams and logs and specks and splinters, then you may help your brother with his problem. But verse 6 deals with the problem of not judging at all. Grant Osborne wrote the problem described it as moving from severe censoring the first five verses to lax sharing. So statement number two is that we need to recognize what is holy and what are our pearls. What does it mean to be holy? It's a word that we use a lot. It's a word that we've heard over and over. it's 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 scattered throughout the scriptures. But what makes something holy? What does it mean to be holy? Very, very simply put, something is holy when it is dedicated to the service of God. Throughout the Scripture, as I said, we find many things are described as holy. For instance, in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath is a holy time. Uh, The sacrificial meats in Exodus 29, anything that that was put on the altar of God to be sacrificed was made holy. Uh, in exodus twenty six the temp- the tabernacle and then uh, later on the temple uh, was comprised of two places that were considered holy: the holy place and the most holy place in isaiah fifty two he described Jerusalem as the holy city. Paul uh, describes uh, god 's law as holy in Romans chapter seven God himself is said to be a holy god in psalm ninety nine Christ Jesus is referred to as the Holy One of God in Mark 1. God's name is holy in Psalm 33, and God's people are holy, according to Leviticus 11 as well as 1 Peter chapter 2. So then, to give something that is holy to a dog means to give something that has been dedicated to God to someone or something that is unworthy or unholy it is to profane that which is holy in other words it is to treat what is holy as unholy you follow according to exodus 2937 as i mentioned anything that touched the altar of god was holy i think i put this one in your bulletin so you could look at it later on we won't turn there but i want to describe to you what what god talks about here and then in, in leviticus 22 only the priest was allowed to eat the meat that was sacrificed to god when, when, they, when, the, when the people would bring their, the, the sacrifice, there would be a lamb, let's say uh, they would the priest that was their portion. they would sacrifice it uh, by fire and then it was cooked, and that was what the priest could eat, but only the priest and his family were allowed to eat it. This was the portion given to them by God and and uh, the, their food was whatever was offered as a sacrifice. They didn't get an inheritance. Remember God said, "I am your inheritance." Then we read in Leviticus 22, God goes into very great detail with Moses concerning who is allowed to eat the sacrifices and who is not. And God uh, says that if someone were unworthy to or unholy and if that person was to eat the meat offered to God then he would uh, profane it, he would bear iniquity and guilt, and he might even die simply because he was an unworthy eater of that which is holy. Imagine the scene, how disrespectful it would be for a priest to offer the sacrifices for a family or for the whole nation. The sacrifice has gone through all of its steps and it's finally finished. And at the very end, he pulls out the knife and cuts off a little hunk of the meat and tosses it to his dog. How disrespectful that would be to treat something as so holy as just a scrap of meat to be given to the dog. This is not just like any other kind of meat. This is holy now. This is special meat. This is symbolic of the sacrifice that Jesus would pay for our sin once and for all. It's the privilege of the priests to eat the meat that is sacrificed to God. It's not theirs to decide who gets it and who doesn't. God decided that. And so for a priest to take something holy unto God and cast it to a dog, would be to disrespect and to dishonor both his office and God himself. People have uh, long debated what Jesus means in verse number six by what the holy things are. What, what exactly are is that which is holy that we should not give to God? And honestly, I'm not completely sure of everything that it entails. Some people would suggest that Jesus was referring to the gospel here. And I can't argue with that because i agree that the gospel is holy and should be treated as such. Paul describes the gospel in Second Corinthians 4 as a treasure we carry around in jars of clay. And that those who do not believe are blinded so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In this sense, it is important then that we treat the gospel as something that is holy and sacred. Now others would suggest that these holy things are the great truths of the scriptures. Not just the gospel, but all of them. And it's I can't really argue with that. Some people would even say that he's referring to communion here, showing that there are specific requirements for coming to the Lord's table and that those only those who are holy or those who are worthy should eat of the communion. And even Paul uses some of that kind of language in 1 Corinthians when he talks about it, saying that uh, though those who treat, uh, come to the table unworthily, uh, that, that, that they, they're, they're judged for that. But one thing we can be sure is what Jesus said here, we must not give what is holy. Whatever that may be, we must not give it to dogs. We take a closer look at the meaning of dogs in just a moment, but let's take a minute here and think about the other treasure that Jesus talks about here, and that is our pearls. What are pearls? Well, it's exactly what you think they are. The little rock things that you that you have in your ear, maybe, or that you have around your neck, or that you spend a lot of money on, fellas, to impress some girl with. Pearls are things of great value and worth. Pearls are very valuable treasures to people of the first century, maybe even more than they were today. I even read that at, uh, they were, it was more, it was uh, considered as valuable as gold or more so at, because of their rarity, I guess. Jesus uses a pearl to describe the priceless value of the kingdom of God in Matthew 13, 46. And there he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is in search of fine pearls. And once he stumbles across this, it's called the pearl of great price, the pearl of great value and worth. And this man immediately sells everything he has just to obtain this one treasure. Now imagine the implication that this brings. Imagine that this man is someone that you know, and he has sold his house, he has sold his cars, he has cleaned out his savings account, cashed out every investment, and sold every other treasure that he has in order to have this one priceless pearl. He might be homeless, with not a penny to his name, but it's completely worth it to him. Why? Because he has found the pearl of great price. This explains how someone can give up everything that the world considers valuable and worthwhile in order to follow Christ. Why would they do that? Why would someone deny themselves, take up their cross, follow Christ? Well, because they have found the pearl, the greatest value. So with that in mind, what, what is holy and what our pearls are, let's look at these terms dogs and pigs. So statement number three, we must recognize who are the dogs and who are the pigs. I almost titled this the dogs and the hogs. But again, um, didn't know if you would get it if we're going to understand what Jesus wants us to do, namely how to handle whatever is holy and valuable, we need to know who these people are that Jesus so shockingly calls dogs and pigs. Um, I don't think that it was received the exact same way that we're thinking of it. If someone, if I were to say, those of you dogs and pigs out there, I don't think that we would say, is that a compliment? I don't think we're thinking that. But at the same time, I don't think that they took it as As the same way, quite like uh, uh, they did in that time as Jesus did. Let me try to explain that. First of all, whenever the Bible refers to a dog, it's generally not referring to a pet. These are wild dogs, these are scavengers that wandered through the city, roaming the countryside, looking for food. Jews considered dogs to be unclean animals, so these dogs are not domesticated pets, but more wild and unclean things. If you remember the story of Lazarus, it was the dogs that came and licked his sores. Luke 16, back in Exodus 22, the Bible says that whenever food was considered unfit for God's people, they were to throw it to the dogs. Because it was not worthy for them, they were to give it to the dogs. Because dogs could eat unclean things, but God's people could not. Throughout the Old Testament, it was considered a sign of God's judgment to be eaten by a dog. Because they were unclean, and whatever they ate was considered unholy. You can read 1 Kings 21, The story of Ahab and Jezebel and how they met their end was by being eaten by a dog uh, to show God's judgment on their life. When a Canaanite woman came to Jesus in Matthew 15 looking for help for her daughter, Jesus reminded her of the tradition that it was not right to give the children's food to the dogs. And He wasn't insulting her by saying this. He was just telling her that He had come for the lost sheep of Israel. And she was a Gentile being from Canaan. And Jesus' ministry was first focused on the Jews. The Gentile ministry would come later through the works of men like Peter and Paul. We know that the woman understood this because her answer was, But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And when she said this, Jesus commended her for her faith and gave her the miracle that she needed. He healed her daughter. But what Jesus was saying here is that it is not right to give what is holy to the dogs because it is not for them, it's for the children. It's for the children of the house. Dogs don't appreciate the fine foods. They're just as happy with a rotting corpse as they are with a prime cut of meat. If you have a dog, you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Jesus wasn't saying here that Jews are better than the Canaanites or better than any other people. The Jews really didn't deserve the holy food because they were better than Gentiles, because the Jews didn't deserve it anyway. They didn't deserve it either but God had chosen them and made them holy unto himself listen to Deuteronomy 7 God says for you are a people holy to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers so Therefore, because Israel had been made holy, they could eat the children's food, but it was not for those who were considered unclean or unholy. Because remember, to give whatever is holy to something that is unholy is to profane what is holy. It disrespects the holiness of that thing, and therefore the one who made it that way, which is God. So, who are the dogs? Well, dog was a term used by the Jews for anyone outside of the Jewish community, which would be Gentiles. Psalm 22 describes dogs as evildoers, the, the persecutors of God's people. It says, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 59 6 describes the wicked as those who howl like dogs and prowl about the city. In Philippians 3 2, even Paul calls the enemies of Christianity, the Judaizers, he calls them dogs because they are people who are trying to pull others back under the law for salvation. Who are the pigs then? Well, pigs were also considered unclean animals. A couple of verses here. Le- Leviticus 11.7 says in the pig, because it is it's, it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cut is unclean to you, you shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. 2 Peter 2.22, Peter describes describes pigs as being filthy in nature, and he says, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I don't think it takes a Bible degree to get that pigs are dirty and uncivilized. Remember when the prodigal son wasted his inheritance and found himself in the pig pen feeding the swine. That was meant to describe and illustrate that he had reached the very bottom. He had sunk to the lowest depths of his life. Things could get no worse because he was really lower than the pigs. He was lower than the lowest of the earth. Pigs don't appreciate or care for the finer things in life. Proverbs uses a pig to describe how useless and empty physical beauty is when it lacks discretion. It says that the beauty of a woman that has no discretion is just as wasted as if one put a gold ring in a pig's snout. Proverbs 11.22. Seeing something like this would not cause us to think how much better the pig looks now, or marvel at the tremendous opportunity the pig now has to better himself. We would all wonder why such a valuable jewel was wasted on a pig. I know some of you have pigs. You don't take out your grandmother's Jewelry and put it on the pig to try to dress it up a little bit because it's a waste. Pigs don't appreciate that. Pigs don't care about those things because they can't appreciate them. Pigs don't care if they have wall to wall carpet or a muddy dirt floor. They're not concerned about cleanliness or how tidy their environment is, much like, uh, God's other creatures that are constantly cleaning themselves. Pigs, not so much. They're not picky eaters and like a dog, leftovers and slop are just as appreciated as five star cuisine. Now remember God's ban on pigs for Israel was because Israel was made holy unto him. and God wanted his people to be different from the rest of the nations. God's people were to be separate from that which was unclean. And so, when Jesus speaks of dogs and pigs, he means those from whom his followers should be different. Dogs are unworthy of receiving that which is holy, and pigs are Unable to appreciate what is precious and valuable. And it's for this reason that Jesus says we are not to give what is holy to the dogs or what is precious to the pigs. Now, not only does Jesus forbid us from this practice, but he also warns us of the dangers involved. We see statement number four. We profane, this is a long one, we profane what is holy when we give it to dogs, we waste what is precious when we offer it to pigs and invite personal attack when we indiscriminately give to them. Notice how the dogs and the pigs respond in this verse here at the end of verse number 6. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Jesus said they'll trample over the pearls we throw to them, disregard the gift, and attack the giver. This makes me wonder here if Jesus isn't referring specifically to food here because we both know dogs and pigs are not very selective with what they're going to eat. Our dog Nacho loves to help clean the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, and he has no five-second rule about anything he finds on the ground. He's going after it. He also uses every open toilet as his personal water fountain. He's not selective. He doesn't care because he's a dog. And I don't know of any pig that turns his nose up at whatever slop you dump in front of it. For this reason, the reason of their undiscerning tastes and standards, Jesus said, Don't cast your pearls before them. Don't give them what is holy. They won't appreciate it. And by giving what is holy to them, we are either saying, it's not good enough for me, but it's fit for the dog. Or we're saying, if it's good enough for me, it's good for the pig too. Good enough for everybody, making no distinction between ourselves and a pig or a dog. But something isn't made holy because we enjoy it. It is made holy because God made it so. And we who are made clean and holy are able to receive it by God's grace. It is because dogs and pigs are unholy that they cannot have what is holy and precious. Jesus is certain and clear about what we are to do with what is holy, and he's clear about how we should handle our pearls. But he also told us very very shortly to go into all the world highways and hedges alike and bring the good news of the gospel to every creature. And that's everybody. Here is a is a is a potential problem. Here's where we can be confused if we're not careful. Because throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we see him not isolating himself from those who are unclean and considered unholy. We see Jesus Uh, the same Jesus who said, do not cast your pearls before swine, we see him also being criticized for eating with sinners, for being the friend of sinners. He spent time with the outcasts. He loved those who were rejected by his society. And the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day couldn't understand how he could lower himself to be with them or uh, or let them be around him. If he is supposed to be this great person, Why would he fellowship with such horrible people? But just as we saw in the first five verses, if we're not careful, we too can be unfair and too quick to judge who are the pigs and who are the dogs and who is undeserving of our holy and precious treasures. We can either judge too quickly and too harshly as the first five verses teach us, or not judge at all, make no distinction at all, as verse number 6 warns. And Jesus wants us to avoid both. How do we do that? Well, that least to statement number 5. Dogs and pigs must prove themselves unworthy of our pearls and what is holy. This means that we must not withhold our treasure while we try to determine who is worthy of it. It doesn't seem to be our job to determine who the dogs and pigs are. Like the sower, remember the sower in Jesus' parable? He didn't walk around and inspect the good ground before he scattered the seed. He scattered the seed on all the ground, rocky, thorny, hardened, and good, and let it do its thing. We can only know what soil is the good soil by seeing what it does with the seed. Likewise, we can only determine who is a pig and who is a dog by what they do with what we offer pigs and swine are proved or pigs and dogs are proved by what they do with the treasures we share with them so we must freely give until they prove themselves unworthy by their unreceptiveness once their rejection is clear then they have judged themselves to be unworthy listen to what john calvin wrote as ministers of the gospel and those who are called to the office of teaching, cannot distinguish between the children of God and swine, it is their duty to present the doctrine of salvation indiscriminately to all. Though many may appear to them at first to be hardened and unyielding, yet charity forbids that such persons should be immediately pronounced to be desperate. It ought to be understood that dogs and swine are names given not to every kind of debauched men or to those who are destitute of the fear of God and of true godliness, but to those who by clear evidences have manifested a hardened contempt of God so that their disease appears to be incurable. And we don't withhold from them because they are better than we are. We don't determine who is worthy because we can't know that. We only ourselves were worthy because God made us that way. How will we know then whom God has made worthy to receive? until we share with them. So this leads us to the final statement. We must have discernment. We must have discernment. This is important because though we are supposed to freely give what we have freely received, we must also have discernment regarding what we share and to whom we share it. Take, for instance, our command to share the gospel. It is not our job to decide who gets to hear it And who doesn't hear it? Samuel Weimer took the gospel to the world of Islam and spent his life encouraging others to do the same, and it wasn't an easy task. And many would say it wasn't even a successful task. His history tells us that he had less than a dozen converts throughout his entire ministry. Yet, he continued to share and shine the light of Christ on people, most of whom were unreceptive. So how do we know who to talk to? How much should we share? How long do we share with getting no response? And how do we know when to walk away? This all takes discernment. And people may be unreceptive to the gospel at first. They may first oppose it. They may refuse to listen. They simply may be unwilling to hear. But let me ask you a question. How many of us responded to the gospel the very first time we heard it? I'm I'm sure that some of us did, but I know many of us would not be Christians today if after rejecting it the first time, we never got another opportunity. Anyone can judge, make a choice or decision, but it takes discernment to make a fair and proper judgment. Maybe I, let me ask you to turn over to Matthew 10. If you're in Matthew 7, turn over to Matthew 10. And I really hesitate to use other parallel passages in Matthew because I know I'm going to get here one day. But at the pace that we're moving, this is going to be a long time from now. So you'll have forgotten it by then. So I'm, I'm okay to read from you Matthew, 7, or Matthew 10 and verse number 5. In Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send his disciples off on their very first missionary trip. He's going to divide them up two by two, and they're going to go out to many different cities and he's giving them some instructions. Listen to what he tells them in verse number five. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now at this point, it would seem that Jesus is making the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, identifying the Gentiles as the dogs, and only the Jews as those worthy to receive the apostles' treasure. But let's keep reading, because we see that Jesus has a totally different group of people in mind with this idea of worthiness. Verse 11. And in whatever, whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. Remember, they're in a Jewish-only town. Who in it is worthy? And there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment them for that sin. Jesus instructed His disciples not to go to the Gentiles, but go to the Jews. But He also told them to judge who was worthy in every city. How were they to determine who was worthy and who was not? Verse 14 said that if people would not receive them or listen to them, they were to shake off the dust of their feet as they left. This was in fact a judgment pronounced on those people or that town who rejected them. Jesus was teaching his disciples not to waste time trying to convince people who didn't want to be convinced. They were not there to fight and argue about the finer points of the gospel. Doing so would invite the misuse of their gift and invite an attack on the giver. They were on a mission to find the lost sheep of Israel who would hear the message, who would believe, Repent and turn to Christ. Now we see this practiced elsewhere throughout the New Testament. During Paul's missionary journeys, he initially brought the gospel to the Jews wherever he went. In every city and town he went, he always started in the synagogue with the Jews. But when they would reject it, he would turn to the Gentiles. In Antioch, when Jews were found unreceptive to their message, Acts 13.46 says Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 50 says, but, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. What did Paul and Barnabas do? Verse 51, They shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconia. They did exactly what Jesus taught. It happened again in Macedonia when the Jews there opposed and ridiculed Paul preaching in their synagogue. It says he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And if you read the rest of the story, Paul rocks right out of the church, goes next door to the man, uh, to the house of a man named Titus, and he spent the next 18 months there starting a church right next door to the synagogue that had cast him out. Paul was not going to waste his time with people, who did not want to hear. And in each situation, the Jews were given the opportunity to hear the gospel and receive it. And when it became clear that they would not listen, and when they fought against it, Paul and the other missionaries switched their focus to other people who would listen. And effectively, these unreceptive people revealed themselves to be unworthy to receive that which was holy. They judged themselves by not appreciating or valuing the rich treasures that Paul and the others presented to them. Now, Jesus said that we should not give what is holy, dogs or throw our pearls out of pigs. That's really what the whole verse tells us. If the main thought from verses 1-5 through was do not judge lest you be judged, or be careful when you judge, verse 6 teaches us why we must judge. We are called to preach the gospel throughout the world but we are not called to force-feed it. We must have discernment. We must be led by God's Spirit. We must be fair and humble in our judgment of other people. We must handle our treasures wisely, and when people prove to be resistant and unreceptive, we must learn when to withhold. There are people who simply do not appreciate what we offer. They will not accept it. They will reject it. They will walk all over it. They will respond with an attack instead of appreciation. And it's difficult to understand how they could refuse such wonderful things, isn't it? From my perspective, I wonder why can't they appreciate these priceless treasures that I have that I'm trying to share with them. We, as God's people, can understand what Jeremiah meant when he said, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord. Well, some people taste what we cast before them and they don't care for it. They reject it. Paul explains it's because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them who are perishing. And to us, the greatest treasure is the discovery that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that he calls sinners to find salvation in him alone. And it is our pearl of great price because we realize that we were called and we have experienced the great and precious things of God. So, let us be faithful to share it with other, with other people. Let us be loving and wise in how we share it. And when people do not appreciate and reject what we hold so dearly, may we have the discernment to know how to proceed. May we run to our Father. and seek His his direction. May we not force our holy treasures on those who are unwilling or unable to receive them. May we trust in the God who made us worthy to work in the hearts and lives of others and use us to bring them to Himself, making them worthy to partake of that which we have found so wonderful so precious, would you pray with me?